Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. So welcome to Camp Sunday. And um, we, we obviously believe in youth camp. And uh, we, we believe that God uses it. And I, I believe that you need something in your life where you can point at it and say, God is using me in this. Um, and it can be 10 things. It could be one thing. I don't know what your life looks like. But um, we have to sort of look at all of our lives like that, that God can use us at all times. But have you ever um, said something along the lines? Maybe you prayed a prayer or it was in a, a moment alone or whatever, where you just felt like you just said something like, God, use me. And then you kind of look back at that moment and think, what did God do? I told him to use me. I was, I was vulnerable. I, you know, I really meant it. But did he do anything with that? Or maybe um, you felt like there was a season of your life where you went through where you're like, oh yeah, God was using me in that season. You kind of feel like that season's wrapped up and you're sort of wandering a little bit. Or maybe you felt like when you were being used by God, somebody took advantage of you. Or maybe you felt like when you were being used by God, the impact just didn't really matter all that much. And then you start to hear stories of people like Billy Graham or these people who've done great things for God. And, and you kind of feel like, what makes them so special? Like, why has God sort of passed over me? Am I just going to be this, you know, whatever, this person who just serves God for the rest of their life and worship him and pay my, you know, pay my tithes and show up at church and hope for the best? Like, where, where is my opportunity to be used by God? I want to talk a little bit today about this. We're going to read from 1 Chronicles 28. Um, so if you have U version on your phone or if you have a paper Bible, I just encourage you, I'll give you a second right now. 1 Chronicles 28 is near the front after the Torah. And uh, you can find that. 1 Chronicles, well, I'm going to read from NIV today. And this is David talking, God speaking to him. 1 Chronicles 28. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I'll be his father. I'll, his, I'll establish his kingdom forever if he's unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws, as is being done at this time. Now I charge you in the sight of all Israel and the assembly of the Lord and in hear, the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commandments of the Lord your God that you may possess this good land. I want you to remember those four words. Possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. And now, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. I want to read that again. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you, the Lord has chosen you to build a house as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. So God says to David, chapter six, Solomon is your son who will build my house. This morning, I want to tell you that God has designed you with his purpose in mind. And that we'll have all sorts of purposes that present themselves to us. But we have to keep in mind that God has designed us all with specific 
purpose in mind. When God designed you, he did it with, with a purpose on purpose. And so even if somebody told you you were in an accident, can I tell you this morning, God doesn't make mistakes. They might have told you you're an accident. God says you're intentional. People might have accidents, but God doesn't. And you were created on purpose for a purpose. When we talk about our purpose, I find we can often get so hung up on what is the plan? We're trying to almost like, we're trying to zoom out on the Google map and go, where is this whole thing going? When often God is trying to tell us, just turn right here. Trust me, just turn right here. Just turn left there. And we spend so much time going, okay, I have to see the whole map first. And then I'll trust God with where he tells me where to go. Can I tell you, it's so often that God does not work like that, that he's not going to zoom out and say, you're going to end up here. I just take this, turn this, turn this. Turn this. Often what he's showing you is just, here's, here's the next thing for you to do. But we can get so hung up on trying to get the whole picture and we waste a lot of time and energy on this. And I see people um, that, you know, they're kind of trying all sorts of different kind of jobs, different churches, different ministries, trying to figure out what is God's specific plan for me? But what I have found is your specific task can change from season to season, but your purpose remains the same. I'll give you an example. If your purpose is to um, help the next generation uh, have their relationship be real with Jesus, that might start by you serving as a 12-year-old in kids' ministry. Then it might turn into you being a youth leader. Okay, then you might become a coach one day. You might, and, and a lot of people kind of struggle with, okay, after youth ministry, do I still have a purpose? You know, does, you know, after I was a youth leader, do I still have a purpose on this earth? Yes. You're just, your task just changes a little bit. Then you become a parent. And how many people know that's all about raising the next generation? Now you're going from a big group of people to a specific group of people, helping them find their relationship with God. Or maybe it's as you're a boss or an employee, the way you're going to lead your business is, is you're, you're bringing people to God. We have to find a way to serve him no matter what, because our purpose is not going anywhere. It's chasing us. It's staying with us. And without a purpose, without finding a purpose in life, without finding a, a way to kind of put our purpose in action, we start to wander. There's a, a, a guy named Viktor Frankl. He has a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he has this quote in it. It says, when a purpose, when a person, sorry, let me start again. When a person lacks a deep sense of purpose, they distract themselves with pleasure. We saw that happen through COVID. People were involved in all sorts of things. And when they, that, that, that gave them purpose, and when they were pulled away from that, we distracted ourselves with pleasure. And once you get in the flow of that, it is so dangerous because you could end up staying like that forever. And what I've found in your life, in my life, in so many people's lives around me, is that when we go around trying to find entertainment, trying to just make ourselves happy all the time, so often these things leave us still feeling empty and you feel hopeless. And even though you have God in your life, you can be running around trying to buy the next thing or go on the next vacation or, you know, just be a little bit better than the neighbor or a family member or whatever. And so many of these things just keep us distracted and entertained and they end up being shallow and, and lack purpose. Without purpose, we're more prone to addiction, depression, boredom, Pessimism, often I find the most pessimistic people are the people that are at least involved in something that gives them purpose. 
And men that have a lack of purpose are seven times more likely to use pornography. This is why purpose is such a good framework for us in keeping our lives on track and understanding that God has a purpose for your life and you're so much better off chasing his purpose than trying to entertain yourself and keep yourself happy all the time. But God doesn't just give us purpose. He gives us a promise. What does David say? God says, you will possess this good land. You will possess this good land. Could, could you just let that be a prophecy for your life today? That no matter what it is you're believing for, you will possess that good land in your life. Hey, whether it's you raising children, you'll possess the good land of those kids loving Jesus and being great kids. Hey, if it's a job, you will possess that good land that God's gonna promote you, that you keep putting him first and God's gonna keep pushing you forward, that maybe it's a business that you're gonna start. Can I just tell you, you will possess that good land. You just keep God's purposes in mind and remember who it is that's opening these doors for you. Whatever that good land is, God has a purpose for you. Many of us have had a dream at one point in our lives or somebody prophesied over us at one point in our lives, but the dream is gone. We lost it. And maybe we're just scared to dream again because of what happened the last time. But if God has given you a purpose, he'll also give you promise, a promise. The next instruction that he gives David in verse seven, he says, I'll establish his kingdom forever if he's unswerving in carrying out, carrying out my commands and laws. God's plans depend on human obedience. I love Reese's story. Amazing. This kid, I, I love it because it's, it's just so relatable for so many of us that it's our dream that our children would grow up, love God, love his church and serve him. But it depends it's, it's not just, okay, God, hopefully you, you work this thing out. It depends on human obedience. What happened in Reese's story? He had amazing parents that had him in church in the first place. He had obedient parents saying, come hell or high water, this kid is getting to church. And then on top of that, we ha- he had pastors in his life who believed in youth and had a vision for youth ministry and made a youth camp happen. Then on top of that, the pastors didn't just make the youth camp happen. The human obedience of the youth leaders to go out and sacrifice and basically go to war. Because if you see them, I mean, these these guys look like they came back from Hacksaw Ridge at the end of youth camp. I mean, it, it is exhausting to go out and do this thing. But youth leaders that make this possible, that sacrificially go out and give human obedience, made it possible for Reese to have an experience with God at camp. And then what also happens, a friend invites him. A friend, human obedience, saying, I'm going to step out in faith and invite him. And then the human obedience of Reese showing up at camp and saying, I'm willing to be here. Someone did not just stumble into God's plan for their life. God's plans depend on human obedience. And often you'll hear the words revival thrown around in church. Revival, we just want to see revival. We believe God is going to, you know, send revival that God's just going to send it and we'll just be here. And when he's ready, he'll send it. But I had the incredible spiritual experience of touring the Billy Graham Museum in Charlotte, North Carolina. And as you walk through that and you sort of study what a revival looked like, looked like, you know, you can so often be tempted just to see a man on stage. And because God chose to do Revival through this man, all these people were in the crowds. But 
as someone who's been involved in ministry for years, you can look between the lines of that picture. You can see that there's a tent set up. Human obedience set up that tent. You can see that um, there's all these people in there. There had to be some sort of ushering system to get them in there. You can see that this costs money, and it wasn't just Billy Graham just figuring it out, right? It was people, human obedience, decided there was going to be a revival. You can read the story of his wife at home raising their children faithfully, that it, it was human obedience that, and, that created the atmosphere and the possibility for God to then show up and a manifestation of his presence to spread through the, those revival meetings. And then that's how revival took place. It started with human obedience and it only happened because of human obedience, but also a manifestation of God, that both things have to happen. And what happens is as you tour and as you go around Charlotte, North Carolina, you're like, there's a lot of Christians in this place. You walk into Walmart and people are like, God bless you. You drive through the, you know, you drive through the uh, neighborhoods and there's churches, massive churches everywhere. And, and what you're realizing is that revival happened and for generations and generations and generations, it made a difference. And this is why human obedience is so important. This is why our purpose is so important because God wants to do revival, but it depends on human obedience to go and make it happen. And I think we often want to position ourselves in a move of God, but we also have to understand that the move of God hinges on our obedience as well. This happens because we seek God and we're obedient. And the results will have an impact for years to come. And that's, that is the reality of Billy Graham's story. And when you look at the, the Samaritan's Purse, uh, when you look at all the, the Operation Christmas Child boxes that we do at Christmas time, if you've been here for Christmas, we fill these shoe boxes. That happens because Billy Graham, his organization, had, a, had an opportunity for it. It's incredible to see all the work that God has done. And you just look at stories in the Bible and you'll see this pattern happening as well. You look at Noah. Noah's story, it, it wasn't just that God just magically created something. It was that he spoke to somebody. He gave someone a purpose. And what happened? That boat didn't build itself. In the Bible, it says, Noah did all that God had commanded him. It was possible because Noah followed God's plan for his life. Look at Jesus. I think just the, 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 the powerful thing that Jesus did where he died on the cross and paid for our sins. Jesus wasn't a robot, okay? He wasn't a Tesla that God just programmed and he came down and he did what he was told. What happened is Jesus was fully human. So human that the night before he was going to go to death, he didn't want to. He was 33, okay? He was still in his prime. He could have been playing against LeBron and whatnot, all right? He's like in his prime of his life, 33 years old. And he chose to die for us. That makes it that much more powerful. That he made a decision. He's sweating drops of blood the night before. He's so stressed. Jesus was fully human. He could have disobeyed God but he chose not to. This adds so much weight to what Jesus did for us because he could have chosen disobedience. But God's plans depend on obedience. So how do we learn how to obey? Like, how do we figure out, okay, God's got a plan. God's got a promise. How do we learn? How do we start to take steps of obedience? What we need, we've been talking about this a lot. We need his word in our hearts and in our minds. Can I just tell you, I make better choices when I have God's word in my heart. I just, in general, we just have a better life when we have 
God's word in our heart every single day. When we make, when we, we just make the choice that at some point today, I'm going to open this thing up. And if you struggle with getting God's word in your heart, here's my encouragement to you. I would just say, start by reading a proverb every day. When I was at my dumbest, that's what I started doing. When I, when I just did the dumbest stuff, when I was just making really silly, dumb mistakes, what I, I, I lived in this basement suite and, and I, I slept on a futon and that's how you know I was re- really dumb. Um, <laughs> I, I had a futon. Um, but when I was at my dumbest, it just, a, a lot of the change that started in me started because I just started reading Proverbs every night. I, I just, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where it was leading. I, did, I knew I didn't want to listen to a lot of people, but I just started by reading a Proverbs, a proverb every day. Just, it just makes you smarter. So how do you obey? Just start to get the word in your heart. Second, his presence, the Holy Spirit. Again, when I was at my dumbest, by the grace of God, I found myself in a church service over in Greenfield, the lovely area of Greenfield of Edmonton. Found myself in this small church. And what happened was just by the, the, the sake of being right there, obedience, being in, in the house of the Lord, a manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit was just there. God touched my heart. And I was pulled out of the, some of the dumbest things I've ever done in my life. Why? You just need his word and you need his presence, the Holy Spirit. We, I'll say it this way. We hear in our heart and then we obey with our actions. You have to place yourself in a situation where you can hear in your heart and then respond by obedience in your actions. When you don't hear, you feel like I'm not hearing from the presence of God. It's because he told you to do something that you haven't done yet. Go and do the last thing you remember God telling you to do until he tells you to do something else. Hear and obey. Hear within, obey without. Isaiah 1.19 says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Just God's promise to you. Just be willing and obedient. Hey, that land, this, this land that God's giving you, whatever it might look like, his promises to you is that you will have it. And I, I would say this, just kind of like the Google Maps thing that we were talking about. You don't have to understand God's will fully to obey completely. You don't have to understand what he's doing. You just have to follow that. Hey, I feel like he's telling me to turn right right now. We're going to go that way for one, two kilometers, however long it may be, until he tells me to turn left. There's a destination that he's taking you. And sometimes we get so stuck on trying to figure out all of what he's doing. Um, and it really, he's just trying to get us to take the next right step. Obedience is so important because there's, there's often somebody on the other side of our obedience. Who's on the other side of your obedience? That if you would just obey, their life would be changed. What is on the other side of your obedience? If you would just obey, it's up to God to decide. It's up to you, sorry, if, to decide if God uses you. And then in verse nine, it says, wholehearted devotion and a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. And it is so easy for us to get grumpy and emotional and offended and bitter and do things with a reluctant heart. But God wants our heart bent this way where we're just wholehearted devotion and a willing mind to serve him. How do we figure that out? How do we, how do we get that out? Well, we kind of touched on it in the last point, but God's presence changes my perspective. Man, we just need to get ourselves in the presence of God. You know, it's so easy to get yourself in the presence of Love Island or whatever you're watching on Netflix. Is that a show, Love Island? I thought somebody said, okay, all right. But it's so easy to get yourself in, in, the, in the, the presence of the presence of negative people 
It's so easy to get yourself in, in the presence of your to-do list for the day. So easy to get yourself in the presence of the emotions of what's surrounding you. You need yourself in the presence of God. God told Solomon, sorry, God told uh, David that Solomon needed wholehearted devotion. I would say the way to, one of the best ways to get yourself in the presence of God is you don't need um, you don't need the, the worship team. You don't need Lauren Daigle leading you into worship every day. You, you know, you don't need whoever your favorite worship leader is. You don't need that person leading you in worship every day. The best way to get yourself in the presence of God, the best way to act, just talk to God a lot. Talk to God a lot. Make an effort to be in his presence. Just, just, just tell him stuff. Tell him, God, that person is driving me nuts. God, these children are driving me nuts. God, I, you know, I don't want to do what I'm about to do right now. I don't want to do what is on the, the list for today. Just talk to God about it. Just offer it to him. Just make an effort to be in his presence. How, and how, how can we do this more? Uh, prayer is so important. As much as you can, Paul says, in all things, in every circumstance, would you just pray? Would you just start praying some more? It sounds so simple, but oh, the curse words I would save if I would just pray some more. Do you know what I'm talking about? How, how many, oh, I, my curse count would be a lot down in 2022 if I would pray some more. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Can we just be real in church this morning? Pray in every circumstance. We need prayer and we need silence. Silence, it might sound a little bit too vegan for you, a little bit too hippie for you, but we just need to get, have, make sure we get in, in moments where we are in silence. There's so much noise around us. Somebody was bothering me yesterday. They were giving me a hard time because I always watch my Instagram uh, feed on full volume. They're like, what is wrong with you? Like, why is it so loud? Um, we just need more silence in our lives. Silence, quiet on the outside. Then we need solitude, quiet on the inside. How many people know you can be silent, but not solitude? You can have silence in your life, but not solitude because what, what, what can be going on is you finally get into that silent place What's your mind doing? Oh, I can't believe this person. I can't believe I said that. I'm so embarrassed by that. Oh, this Facebook marketplace deal. I got to go pick that up. You know, they, they haven't switched it to pending yet. I said I would come pick it up. Your, your mind just gets so crazy in these things. You need silence and solitude and worship. A posture where you're reminded, this is why worship's so important. I know worship was a little bit wild today. That's how the youth do it. Okay, we'll get back to our thing next week. But we worship a posture where he's God. And we're reminded he is God. He's seated on the throne. He understands what's going on right now. He's worthy of my praise, no matter my circumstance. Even if he never blesses me again, he's worthy of my praise right now. And, and what, what do we want in our hearts? A wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. The Lord searches every heart and he understands every desire and every thought. And when you can try to fake it, but God sees what's going on inside of you. And we can spend so much time trying to trick people into thinking, oh, everything's all good, but you cannot fool God. So you might as well stop trying to fake it and just get your head right, get your heart right. I'll, I'll tell you this. I've spent exhaustive hours writing sermons that don't make any sense at all because I was not in the presence of God. That I'm just trying to, ah, just trying to will it on my own. Just trying to get it on. Just trying to, ah, I'm just, I'm going to, it's going to be so good. And I'm going to write out of, this person said that to me and I'm going to get them back on stage. You know, like just weird, messed up stuff like that. Just, ah, and then what happens is I'm like, this sermon doesn't make any sense. Or I'll send it in. I'll submit it because I have to submit all my sermons. 
by the grace of God, I have to submit all of my sermons. Thank you, Lord, for that structure in my life. And I have to send it off to our lead pastors. And, and, and he'll read it and be like, what's wrong with you? What is this? What, is it? what are you going to preach? I'll tell you, I spent three days writing a sermon that didn't make any sense. But a moment in the presence of God changed everything, changed my perspective, changed it all. And I could just change it all because why? The presence of God came in there and messed with me. And, and I, that, that can happen for your life too. You can be so frustrated, so ready to lash out at somebody, you know, posting all sorts of subliminal messages on, on social media and, and, and just get God, get God in your life, get his presence in your life. And you, you'll be blown away by how he can change your perspective on the world. If we want God's will to be done in our lives, we need his presence in our lives every day. What's another way to do this? I love this. I'm reading this book called Practicing the Pre- Presence by uh, Brother Lawrence. He's a monk in the 17th century. And you think a monk, you think a Buddhist monk, but he's a Christian monk. And um, he, I, love, I love this quote that he has in it. He says, if you're just trying to get things right, trying to shift things, you can do it in one hour. In fact, I did it in an hour this week. I was annoyed, frustrated, Facebook marketplace. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, oh, of course, they're on the other side of the city, man, for a $20. You know what I'm talking about, Facebook Marketplace. Okay, but Brother Lawrence says this, any hour of any day may be made per- perfect by merely choosing. It is perfect if one looks towards God that entire hour, waiting for his leadership all through that hour, trying hard to do every tiny thing exactly as God wishes it done, as perfectly as possible. No emotions are necessary. Just doing, just the doing of God's will perfectly makes the hour a perfect one. We can get so hung up on, does God want me to do this job or that job? Does God want me in this city or that city? Does God want me to marry this girl or that girl? At least you got options, man, okay? Chill. But often, God is not necessarily saying, I want you to do X, Y, Z specifically. He's often saying, it's how you're going to do it. I'm just trying to get you to do this the way. I'm just trying to get you to live life the way I'm trying to get you to live. I'm just trying to help you to make decisions on what would be best for my life. Not what would be best for your bank account all the time. Not what would be best for your pride all the time. Not what would be best for, you know, your friend group all the time. Just living your life how? Considering God in the tiny little decisions that we make and the big ones, obviously, as well. So will that city uh, be conducive to God's plan for me? Will that job allow me to live out a God-given purpose for my life? Or will be I be so busy doing that that I have no room for God in my life? Or does this man or this woman... Uh, support the call of God on my life? And will they allow me to live in a way that considers God first, not just considers them first all the time? And I would say this, sometimes you can get in the trap of trying to do his will your way. And that doesn't work either. I could be trying to do the will of God and say, so I could say, I'm going to be a pastor because I'm trying to do the will of God. But if the will of God for my life is to spend time with people one-on-one counseling and, and, and helping them one-on-one. If that's my best fit in life, if I work best one-on-one with people, being a pastor would be the opposite of God's call in my life. Because being a pastor, you spend a lot of time alone. 
scratching your head going, how do I get these people to love God more next weekend? You know what I mean? You spend a lot of time alone writing. Then you spend a lot of time alone on stage preaching it, right? So it, it, you could be trying to do his will, but get off trying to do it your way. How you do your life is as important as what you're doing. And as long as what you're doing allows you to be in the presence of God, allows him to speak to you, as long as you can talk to him all day long and make prayerful decisions based on wanting to serve his purposes and not your desires, as long as you can consult him as you work, that's how you know you can, you can do his will. And how you do life is as important as what you're doing. How you're doing it with a willing mind. It says then, consider now, for the Lord has chosen you. The Lord's chosen you to build a house as a sanctuary. I just want you to just allow that to be prophetic for your life, that God's chosen you to do certain things. Be strong and do the work. The next few chapters, as they go into Second Chronicles, are all about how Solomon had to do all this hard work to build this temple. All about how Solomon had to, it wasn't just that there was a plan and a promise. The plan was for him to do it. And the promise that God says, I'll give you this land for generations after you. It's chapter after chapter of Solomon working hard, getting 150, over 150,000 people involved to build this thing. Chapter after chapter of how God's plans are not easy. What a great encouraging thing to end the sermon on. If they were easy, everyone would do it. God's plans aren't easy, but you were born to do them. And life is so much better with a God purpose. Often we want God's plans, but we want it to be easy. We would prefer that it would be nice, you know, a few easy monthly payments, get that sucker paid off, and we'll enjoy that plan for the rest of our lives. We want purpose, but we often really, we want pleasure. We want it to be super enjoyable. When you, when you, start to encounter resistance, it's usually a sign that you're in the right place. This world is not an easy one. And sometimes they think if their people think if their plans are going poorly or their plans are going wrong or if they're hard, it's a sign that God isn't in them. But maybe the struggle is the sign that you're starting to get on the right path. Quick, quick story before we end. I, I often will go to pastors meetups in different cities or, or um, conferences and after a while, I started to notice a pattern as I meet a lot of pastors uh, throughout the years. I, I notice a pattern that when I go to these meetups, meet these pastors, hey, where are you from? Whatever. These pastors will, that'll, they'll, that'll be from, um, these pastors will be from like um, a progressive city, like Portland or Seattle, somewhere in California, Vancouver, Edmonton sometimes. Um, They'll say, these pastors will say, oh, it's so hard. It's so hard in my city. Everyone is so secular. No one's a Christian. It is so hard to reach people in whatever city. Then you'll go and you'll meet another pastor and they're from a more conservative uh, city. And they'll, they'll, they're from somewhere in Alabama or in Texas or, or maybe Calgary, you know, <laughs> they're somewhere more conservative. And you know what they'll say? It's so hard. Because everyone's been a Christian their whole life. It's so hard to help, have, you know, try and lead them and help them understand what it means. And, and they ignore me and what, yada, yada. And it's, it's so funny. I just, I, I'm not trying to be judgmental this morning. I just think it's funny that we're all like, dang, this thing is hard. Yeah, his work is hard work. But it's so fulfilling to know that we get to be God's hands and God's feet. And if we're going to uh, carry out God's will for our lives, hey, it is going to be great. It is going to be fulfilling, but it's also 
going to be hard and we must be prepared to fight. And what's uh, God telling Solomon here? You got to be strong. You got to be prepared to sacrifice. Hey, there's other people out there that are willing and prepared to do the work of the enemy and they will work hard and they'll be strong and they'll be sacrificed. They'll be sacrificing things too. But as Solomon was taking over as king, he has so much support. He had all the resources, all, all these skilled craftsmen, all this finance, all this gold and silver from David. Oh, he had all these things in the kingdom as he, as he took over. The people were with him. God was with him. The leaders, everybody has supported him. And yet what, what's God's instruction to Solomon? Be strong. This is going to be hard. Be strong, persevere. Be strong-minded. If you're raising kids, you know, you and I know, we got to be strong. If you're going to start that business, you're going to be strong. If you're going to live out God's purpose on your life, you got to be strong. If you're going to reach lost people, you got to be strong. If you're going to go into those dark places, hey, if you're going to love your neighbor, you got to be strong. If you're going to start that business, you got to be strong. Doing God's purpose for your life, you got to be strong. And when you get off track, when you make a mess, when you're so insecure, come back to being strong. You don't have to go on some big, long journey to go find yourself again. Just get quiet. Get his word in your heart. Be in his presence. Pray to him. Be strong and courageous and do the work. God has a plan for your life. And there's going to be a lot of times where that plan is not easy. And people will attack you. People will betray you. People will forget you. People will overlook you. I'm just telling you that that's just the imperfectness of people. But God's better than that. He's so good. He's so faithful. He's, he, you know, no matter how many times you mess up, he's still like, hey, the plan's waiting for you. Hey, I'm still ready to take you on that next turn. Hey, let's pick up where we left off. We can go from here. First Chronicles 28, David said, uh, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong, courageous, do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God my God. I love how David says, my God, as in, I have gone through so much garbage and he's been there. He's been my God the whole time. Son, I'm passing this on to you. You got to understand that my God who's been good to me is going to continue to be good to you. Every time you open the Bible, you can know this good God that has been there for these people that's in these stories is also going to be there for me when I'm going through my darkest, most emotional times, when, I, when people are turning their back on me, when I just feel lost, when I feel like I've let him down, my God is still faithful. My God is still good and he will not fail or forsake take you, as the word says, until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Can I pray for you this morning? God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for these faithful people who are here, Lord God, ready to, to do your work, Lord God. I just thank you for the purpose that is in all of our lives, on all of our lives, Lord God. Thank you for their children, Lord God. Would you bless the children of this house? God, would you bless the, the children's, um, the team, Lord God, Celebration Kids, as they lead this next generation. Would you bless them? Would you bless our youth leaders as they go in two weeks to go and, and just do your service, Lord God? Would you bless all these people, Lord God? Be with them, Lord God, as they go and do the hard work for you. Hey, we're okay with people talking bad about us. We're okay with people slandering us. We're okay with people persecuting us because our job is not to get everybody to like us. Our job is to get, to get ourselves to serve you, to give ourselves completely to you, to go and do the hard work. So God, I just pray today. I just pray for those who are discouraged, Lord God. Would you send your Holy Spirit now to encourage them? Pray for those who feel tired. Thank you that you give us rest. Thank you that we can rest in your presence.
I pray for those who feel insignificant. Would you show them your promise? Would you show them that there's a land specifically for them to take? That there's places you you want them to go? And what they see as insignificant, you'll show them. You'll show them their significance. If they don't see it till, till heaven, they will see it. We just thank you that our ministry matters to you. What we do on this earth matters. Even if we look down on it, it matters so much. God, I just pray for just the people in this room watching online. Pray for a desire to do your will. It is not our desire just to sort of achieve what the world tells us we're supposed to achieve. We're not just supposed to achieve what we, we see on Instagram or we're not supposed to just sort of do whatever we've seen, you know, our parents maybe do and just try and do exactly the same as them. But pray that we just have a burning, give us a, just a burning desire in our heart to do your will, whatever that may look like, whatever sacrifice may come. Pray that that would be our desire just to do God's will, not our will, but yours be done. And I just want to take a moment for those who feel like you're far from God today. Maybe you were raised in a Christian family or you've considered yourself a Christian, but you've maybe wandered a little bit. Today, you want to come back to him. Or maybe you've never prayed a prayer to make Jesus Lord of your life. His word, it says, all you got to do is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, you will be saved. That's how easy eternal life is. That is how easy what we call salvation is. That's the beginning of your journey. All you got to do, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. So I'm going to give you a moment right now to confess with your mouth. I'll call, ask everybody who considers themselves a believer to repeat after me, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and dying on the cross to pay for my sin. I believe that you are Lord. And from now on, I live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we put our hands together for what God's done here today? Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.